Hello and welcome to I'm With The Brand, a new podcast series from the team that looks at the many moving parts within a brand that create trust, deepen connections and support brand success. Last year, we celebrated 40 years of the team. In that time, we've developed brands for the Beatles and the NHS and looked after employees at BP and Southwest Airlines, to name a few. We're a team of experts and it's this expertise that we want to tap into and share with you in this series of podcasts. My name's Alice and I'm the content manager here at the team. We'd love you to join us as we chat with specialists from both inside and outside the team. Together, we'll explore a range of thought-provoking, inspiring, challenging and actionable insights that cover a wide range of topics. From brand strategy and activation to employee experience, diversity and inclusivity to behavioural science and many more in between. In this episode, I'll be taking a back seat as my colleague Jen Robinson talks to her guests about whether brands in 2023 are doing enough to embrace and support neurodivergent minds within the workplace. Since my son Dylan started school, my mind has been blown wide open to the challenges and opportunities of neurodiversity. And like any parent, we were mega excited for him to start school, but it quickly became apparent that he struggled with what others found easy. And that classic phrase, square peg, round hole, came to mind. And we're very much at the beginning of Dylan's neurodiversity journey and understanding what it means for both him and us. And there's a lot of worry, a lot of hope for what he can go on to achieve with his amazing mind. And there's stacks of learning, like any parent's journey, really. But I really believe it's a very amplified one. And as I grow with him, I'm realising where the world is or isn't equipped to allow neurodiversity to flourish, including the world of work, which is my day to day, my bread and butter. At the team, I helped clients to build and create workplaces that people can thrive in. And obviously, when the people are thriving, so is the company. But how much of the workplace setup actually considers individual needs? Is there a danger with simply sleepwalking through what we've always done? And in fact, it's thought that up to one in seven, one in seven of the UK population are neurodiverse. This blows my mind, um, which can include autism, ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, dyspraxia and others. But one in seven is a really significant number. Nobody can deny that. So it really highlights the massive need to be truly inclusive because there is a huge risk in not designing workplaces to help everyone flourish. And in fact, the latest Future of Jobs report, published by the World Economic Forum, highlighted a number of skills missing for the future workplace. And guess what? Neurodiverse people possess most of them. I think it's important to say at this point that being the mom of somebody neurodiverse doesn't make me an expert, and neither are my guests. But what we are is passionate about developing a better understanding of the needs of people around us so that everyone can have the opportunity to thrive. So today I have the pleasure of chatting with three of my amazing colleagues here at the team. Mary's from our project management team and we'll be talking about how we can rethink our workspaces to be more inclusive. And we have Kira, our client director, and Cardo, our experienced design director, who will be talking to me about how they help and guide our clients as they consider accessibility and inclusive design. Mary's from our project management team, and we'll be talking about how we can rethink our workspaces to be more inclusive. 
Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for coming to chat to me today. How are you doing? Hi, Jen. I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. So we got chatting about neurodiversity. It was nothing to do with work, in fact, was it? We were talking, I was chatting about my son, Dylan, and then you were telling me about your experiences of neurodiversity, weren't you? For me, I have an autistic little brother, and growing up, it was tough for him and our family to kind of navigate the world. And kind of just my experiences around um, neurodiversity is that obviously him. Um, but one thing that me and my family notice is that the world is not built to accommodate everyone's needs, especially my little brothers. He absolutely hated crowds. Um, <laughs> some ASD individuals can find loud noises and busy areas mm. scary and kind of what this meant for me and my family was that we couldn't sit in a restaurant in a restaurant as a family for a really long time um so I went on to study architecture at university later on and in my third year I ended up basing my dissertation on designing towards inclusivity um for the autistic spectrum um the topic was around ASD individuals but the main purpose of the study was to rethink space and environment. So I went on to start thinking, what does it mean to be more inclusive? What does being inclusive mean? Why does this matter? And for me, it meant about providing environments for individuals like my brother and my family really as a whole to be a part of society because we felt a little bit shunned from society where it felt like couldn't go outside of a house and I wanted to rethink space outside our own home, our safe yeah. area, and what it would be like outside if we could be part of it. When I think about all of this in the context of my world, how people thrive in the workplace, it obviously raises a whole new conversation. Um, I'm just wondering, how do you think we need to rethink our workspaces to be more inclusive? So I think that it's first of all acknowledging that people with neurodivergent conditions genuinely experience spaces differently than other than other members of the population mm. and acknowledge that their needs is also a requirement. Um, for example, we have wheelchair access, but we don't have quite a spaces access for neurodivergent mm. individuals. And I don't think it's fair because everyone experiences space differently. Some neurodiverse people have higher sensitivity to their physical surroundings and they're more likely to experience stress and anxiety in crowds and in uh, noisy office areas, for example. Kind of mm. how we can rethink space is really just learning about dividing spaces to accommodate different needs. So compartmentalization is important and kind of this is an architectural thing, but the whole idea is dividing an area for certain sets of needs. So, for example, some people prefer quieter spaces in general. I do when I do work. Not everyone works well in an office, um, in an open office format. Mm. They might find it too loud and distracting to concentrate. There yeah. needs to be spaces that accommodate for different needs. You know, if you're at home, you know what works for you if you're working from home, if you need a quiet space to, to do this or to do that. Um, and I guess, you know, it, it's a sense of bringing that thinking to the workplace in a way, isn't it? 
whether you're working at home or at work and knowing you have these options. Um, while you're working at home or at work, I think wayfinding and layout is important of how you um, rethink space. So with layout, you're asking yourself, is this working? Can we have a busy and loud kitchen area next to a quiet area? Or is it better to put a collaborating area next to this? And wayfinding is similar. So with wayfinding, it's all about just thinking when you first step into the office or into your um, workspace, would you rather step into something busy or Mm -hmm. would you best go into something quiet? And it's really thinking about kind of how not just as an individual, but like the population feels within the space. I think creating I think the surrounding environment can really affect a person's emotions and well-being. And it's something Mm -hmm. people don't really think about. But it really does, even not just for neurodivergent um, people, but for everyone in general, spaces do have a really big effect on your emotion and well-being. So, Mary, what do you think? And obviously, I know there's a lot, but what is the one thing a workplace can do to be inclusive of neurodiverse needs? Mm. I think, honestly, the most important thing is just knowing your team, um, asking them what they need and why um, and why they need it so you can make informed decisions. And knowing what they need, but also knowing what makes them feel confident to do the work at hand. Yeah. Because, yeah, no person is the same. We work to make compromises around these conditions they've set up. But I think it's acknowledging um, their insight in themselves and also yeah. trusting them. I think trust is a big word in this, is that you're trusting mm-hmm. them to know themselves. Um, but everybody do know themselves best, even if they don't think about it. And I think it's also good to see it all as a process. Like nothing is a quick fix. It, there's always going to be back and forth of what's working, what's not working. Yeah. But it's all a process of just getting to know each other's needs and how you can accommodate them um, within your workspace and your organisation, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's a bit of a cliche to say it's a process, isn't it? But it's such a learning process because we're all learning new things all the time, and that's okay. Um, exactly. Yeah, uh, Mary, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to chat with you. It really has. So we've just been chatting to Mary. Uh, Mary raised an important point there at the end, knowing your colleagues, understanding and listening to their needs. And that segues us beautifully across to my two other wonderful colleagues, Kira and Cardo. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Good, thank you. Hi, Jen. Very well, very well. Um, thank you. Fabulous. So uh, Kira's our client director here at the team and Cardo's our experience design director. Guys, I just wonder if you could give us a little background to your role, uh, in particular, your kind of um, your role in terms of accessibility and inclusive design. I've been at the team for about 10 years and um, it's been so um, obvious and really clear that how things have evolved over the years. Um, yeah. and actually, it's been quite interesting um, working with clients over the years, seeing how their needs as large organisations, as government organisations and as charities, how their needs are evolving and how they're they're kind of flexing and and kind of um, improving to to meet the needs of their employees, but also of their their customers and their audiences. So, um, yeah, I've been working with clients over those years, and kind of in in some instances, 
in some instances, helping them uh, kind of identify some of those areas for improvement. And Cardo has been quite instrumental in the application of some of the accessibility. So um, I'll hand over to Cardo to introduce himself a little bit and talk about what he's done over the years as well. Uh, Cardo, um, you've been at the team, I think, around the same time as Kiers, haven't you? What's, yeah. what's your primary role at the team? Yes, Kira and I pretty much joined at the same time. My role at the team is um, I'm an experienced design director at the team, which means I look after the uh, digital and uh, experience side of things. My background is in computer-human interaction. So how do people interact with digital platforms, their, their situations, and how they react to certain um, kind of activities uh, accessibility issues or um, uh, environmental issues. So uh, my role has always been around understanding the user and their needs um, yeah. when it comes to digital products. Yeah, amazing. Thanks, guys. It's so good to have you here. Um, and Mary and I were talking, you know, specifically, of course, around <clears throat> the workplace and, um, and and kind of, you know, how we're meeting uh, the needs of neurodiverse minds. But in your kind of day to day world, are there kind of key principles or key kind of uh, guidelines, for want of a better word, really, when it comes to accessibility and inclusive design? And, and also just to touch on that a little bit. Sorry, I'm doing a little bit of a double question there, but I hadn't realised the difference between accessibility and inclusive design. Um, and there is a, a significant difference there, isn't there, Kira? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of overlap, but I think um, if we think of accessibility as like the outcome um, and inclusive design is really the process, um, I would say. I think that's probably yeah. an, an oversimplification, perhaps, but I think that's one way of, of thinking about it. Yeah, um, no, I think that's really helpful. And I think, but I think it's, it's helpful to know that there is a distinction there um, yeah. in the world of internal comms and employee engagement, because I wasn't fully aware, I have to say. Do you guys have kind of key principles, guidelines when it comes to accessibility and inclusive design? So there are standards. Um, there are um, there's new WCAG guidelines uh, for accessibility, and that's mostly applicable to digital platforms. And that's what um, most digital designers and developers will be using. Um, and that's pretty. It's pretty standard now. Um, but I would say that's kind of like the bare minimum. Um, yeah. You know, there are AA standards, um, and that's I'd say is yeah that that's pretty par for the course these days. I, and I think that's just a starting point. Um, when you do speak to accessibility experts, um, it's not just about the kind of the box ticking exercise of going through the guidelines and adhering to the standards. It's starting from the user, really. Yeah. And um, I think that I think that's the, the main difference. Um, I don't know, Cardo, if you wanted to add anything to that. Yes. So the AA standards, that's pretty, pretty regulatory. I think that that needs to be done anyways. Uh, but in terms of inclus inclusive design, um, and designing for any product, really. This kind of thoughts and principles started in the 1970s uh, by the University of Carolina, where they okay. came up with seven kind of principles in terms of when it comes to design of products, whether it be digital products or or um, physical, actual, everyday life products. So it's principles like uh, flexibility in use, simple and intuitive, uh, things mm -hmm. like tolerant to um, an error. So you should always put 
people back onto track if they make a mistake or um, and low physical effort. So, but when we design um, interfaces or digital products, so we keep all those principles in mind um, as well as whatever is really digital specific. Um, if you look at a product, it's not just about color contrast and it's not just yeah. about uh, accessibility in terms of um, font sizes. So we are looking at things like um, so the situation where somebody is using that interface, for example, the ability to reach that interface or what are they using to navigate the site. Um, things like text-to-speech, for example. Um, so providing users with different ways of na navigating that platform or consuming the data simply. I mean, there yeah. is so much digital noise out there and that can cause a lot of cognitive um, overload, which is something to consider when we are designing for the digital world. So we've just talked to, you know, you'll have talked there a lot about what principles were already in existence, Cardo, and, and that are followed. Um, but there's a thing around intersectionality here, isn't there? And a, a huge thing with neurodiversity um, is, and, uh, you know, in terms of accessibility, accessibility principles, is that you may be autistic and you may be dyslexic. And there's obviously that broad spectrum there that it's not a broad brush approach. It's very much about individual and personal needs behind it. Would you say that's that's fair, Keir? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and when you talk about intersectionality, I think it's even broader than neurodiversity. And I think mm. um, when we look at the kind of teams and people in organisations who are creating um, experiences or products or services for their users or their audiences, I think it's really important that we do uh, make sure that the right people are in the room when they're kind of workshopping these ideas for, for these products and services, because it's it's not just about neurodiversity, even though that's what we're talking about today. And like you say, neurodiversity kind of covers quite a lot of different aspects. It's it's not just autism. We know there are lots of other that yeah. kind of other sides to it as well. So I think um, from my perspective, yes, that intersectionality is really important. And we see that mm. in, in our clients' worlds as well. Some of our clients do have a lot of neuro neurodiversity in their um, in their um, their staff. Yeah. Um, and they they're looking and seeking to kind of make more of it and bring those kind of people who may have been not marginalized but maybe not listened to as much yeah. in the past trying to bring them forward introducing them into the design and kind of development process uh for all those kind of uh, customer facing things that they're working on a lot of customers go through a lot of user testing or user research or asking the customers what, what they need and what they, what what problems they have, for example, and what are they trying to achieve. But unfortunately, the user testing is done or the user research is covering the majority of the population and not the, yeah. not the marginalized mm. or not people with specific needs. And as Kira said, we have some clients who are doing a much better job than a lot of others. Yeah. But I think it's, it's key because... Uh, um, you never know who's interacting with your product, who's using your product. You n you n never actually know who's your customer. Yeah, that's true. You can't, you yeah. can't cover everybody. So I think it's it's very important to to consider all sorts of kind of um, 
issues that people face when it comes to interacting with with yeah. uh, digital platforms. What has really stood out to you as, wow, you know, everyone should be doing this from an accessibility or inclusive design point of view? Um, I was going to say one of our charity clients, um, about this, probably about four or five years ago now, um, we went to visit their offices, their new offices at the time. And um, it was really interesting to see um, that they'd allowed for so many kind of unique and different types of spaces to accommodate mm. different people's needs. Um, they had like kind of slightly darkened meeting rooms. Um, they had um, kind of sleeping pods. They had kind of restful spaces, meditation oh, wow. spaces. That I'm kind so of, up for some of that. I think um, probably Mary kind of touched upon a bit earlier, but um, but it was the first time I'd really seen that in in practice. Um, I kind of mm. heard about it or seen kind of examples of it, but um, they they'd really kind of made an effort to to kind of follow that through and demonstrate it through their environment and the building and the, and the culture as well of course yeah. um, so that was that was fascinating absolutely fascinating I really think kind of set a bit of a benchmark in my mind. Tardo well, what's your uh, your kind of wow why isn't everybody doing this moment? Well I think there is a massive benefit in, in catering or considering diversity in, in the workplace and people who are who have different needs it was spaces where you could actually go either relax or grab your laptop and go and work in a quiet environment and I think that's that's very very important yeah yeah it's kind of that in in our allowing that kind of hive of diversity isn't it and of diverse minds and and frankly our success as as people, <laughs> frankly, depends on the diversity of those minds. Yeah, you need to rep- to have all those people, different types of people, kind of represented if you're going to kind of work through problems um, and solutions. Um, so, absolutely, um, I think um, you can only benefit. I don't think there are any downsides to that. So, obviously, we were talking about you know, Cardo, you were talking about kind of creating that space and that hive and how that enables diverse minds to come together. I've said, you know, the importance of diverse minds is huge. In fact, the the success of the human race, frankly, depends on it. Different ways of different viewing different things. And I think there's a quote from Einstein around insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You know, why would you use the same approaches, the same minds and outlooks and expect a different or better outcome? I mean, that that's not the way, surely. Not not now where we're at in 2023. <laughs> Not at all. I think um, I think absolutely you need those diverse minds um, to kind of progress. And there's a huge business case for this as well. We know that um, there is a statistic that we've seen that says apparently companies who hire people with disabilities saw um, about 23% higher revenue. But wow. um, there was another study by Accenture a few years ago, and they, that, that statistic could be up to 30%. So um, there is, there are the stats out there that demonstrate the the business benefit to having that kind of diversity in your workforce. So, you know, it, it can't be argued with. I don't think. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Thank you so much, Kira and Cardo, for joining me to chat on this episode. It's been fantastic to get your thoughts and um, how you guys kind of approach things day to day for our clients. So, thank you very much. A huge thank you to Kira and Cardo and, of course, Mary for joining me on today's episode. Although I have to reserve my biggest thank you to my amazing son, Dylan, for opening my mind to how different the world can and should be. And that whole notion of the power and importance of diverse minds will be revisited in part two of this podcast series. 
We'll be discussing with some special guests the role that leadership and communications in a workplace can play and how workplaces can best attract and let neurodiverse minds thrive. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe so as to not miss any future episodes. And if you'd like to leave a review, that'd be wonderful. It really helps other people to find these important conversations, so we appreciate it. You can find I'm With The Brand wherever you get your podcasts. We hope to see you jumping on the brand wagon soon.